Salvation from the sermon series Faith Foundations, spoken by Pastor Sunita Pontan. If I had to ask you, what is the most popular verse in the Bible? I have no scientific proof for this, but I would guess that it is John 3:16. I know there are plenty of people who quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's on their IG profiles and on their gym t-shirts. Sometimes at funerals, you'll hear Psalm uh, 23. And if you've ever been in a Bible verse challenge as a little child and you were near the end of the line, you may have raised your hand and finally yelled out, Jesus wept, trying to get that last scripture in. But if I had to guess, If I had to um, choose one, I would say that John 3.16 is the most popular verse in the Bible. It's one that many of us may have learned as children, and even if you didn't grow up as a Christian, somewhere along the line you saw Tim Tebow or somebody else posting it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But I think sometimes when something becomes so familiar to us that we forget about the depth of its truthfulness and its profound theological uh, implications. So as you heard Pastor Doug say, we are starting a new sermon series today called Faith Foundations. It is focused on the foundations of our Christian faith. What do we believe as Christians? And we're hoping that as we unpack this for the next several weeks, you might understand a little bit more when we throw some terms around because we understand that even as Christians, sometimes we use Christianese. And maybe if you've been a Christian for a long time, you're afraid to ask the question, well, what does that really mean? And we hope that you will never feel ashamed or afraid of asking questions. In fact, the text that we're going to talk about today is from a man who asks a question of Jesus. So feel free to ask questions, great or small. And if you're not a Christian, you might be wondering, what do Christians believe? What are they talking about? And so for the next few weeks, we're going back to the basics. We're going to the foundations of our faith. And we hope this sermons will give you clarity about your faith, ignite your passion for your faith. And if you're not a believer, draw you closer to God and hopefully into a loving relationship with him. So today we begin with the beginning with salvation. And what better way to dig into what it means to be saved than to talk about salvation? How do we even become a Christian? Now, for some of you who've been faithful Christians for years, I don't want you to tune out of this sermon. This sermon isn't just for unbelievers or people who may have questions about their faith. This sermon is for you too. The story of salvation is the greatest story ever to be told. So fun fact about me, my favorite story, my favorite movie right now is The Devil Wears Prada. Right, you know, like uh, with Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway. And every time it's on TV, I watch it. And it doesn't matter where it is in the story, I tune into it, even though I know the lines, even though I know how it will end. Well, the story of salvation is greater than your favorite movie. It is better than getting your favorite meal at your favorite restaurant. It is the story of not only how God saved humanity as a whole, but how God saved you personally. And that is a story that never gets old. It is exciting. And so we should be on the edge of our seats and tuned in and celebrating to hear the message of the gospel proclaimed one more time. 
So today we're talking about salvation. And can we just, even in the beginning of the story, praise God that there is the gift of salvation? Can we praise God that we are saved? And so it's no surprise that we are going to be talking today about John 3.16. We're starting with the text. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3. We're jumping into this conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. And if you go back to the end of chapter two, you see that Jesus has been performing all these signs and people are starting to believe in him. And this is probably why Nicodemus approaches him. And we see that at the beginning of chapter three, Nicodemus comes to Jesus. Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a part of the ruling uh, authority there in Jerusalem. at the time, and he's part of what's called the Sanhedrin, the 70, which is like the, uh, the Jewish Supreme Court. And they did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And throughout Jesus' three years of ministry, as Jesus' popularity grew, they became more intimidated and envious of Jesus. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night so that his peers don't see him talking with him. And yet Nicodemus acknowledges that Jesus is a teacher and that he is from God. And that despite his position, there is some sort of curiosity in Nicodemus. He recognizes the truth of who Jesus is, even though he can't understand it for himself. And in response to saying, Jesus, you indeed are a teacher, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Jesus recognizes that Nicodemus has a hunger for heaven, a hunger for the kingdom But even in his effort to know God, he is missing God. And Nicodemus, he has no idea what Jesus is talking about. And so he asks this question. He says, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb. Essentially, he's saying, Jesus, what are you talking about? Right? Jesus is talking about heavenly things and and Nicodemus is here thinking about earthly things. And even though Nicodemus is a teacher of the Jewish faith, he has no clue what Jesus is talking about. But I'm grateful for his question because it's from his question that we come to understand salvation. Jesus identifies himself as the son of man who condescends, meaning he comes down from heaven with the sole purpose of saving the world. He came to fulfill God's plan of salvation to humanity. So listen to what he says. We're dropping into the conversation. John chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 14, John 3, 14, and go through 18. So this is Jesus speaking. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Jesus is giving us an understanding of salvation in three short verses excuse me, in these short verses. And we're going to unpack it together and we're answering three questions today. What is salvation? Why do I need salvation? And how do I receive salvation? What is salvation? Why do I need salvation? And how do I receive salvation? So first, what is salvation? 
Salvation is God's response to the problem of sin in this world. God's goal has always been for salvation and the wholeness of the world. If I had to package it in a definition, I would say salvation is God's deliverance of humanity from eternal punishment for sin. It is given by grace and it is granted to those who by faith repent and accept Jesus Christ. We're gonna unpack all of that. Salvation is God's deliverance of humanity from eternal punishment for sin. It is given by grace and it is granted to those who by faith repent and accept Jesus Christ. It is deliverance from the consequences of sin. Once someone has received salvation, that person is considered born again, meaning they have acknowledged that they are a sinner, they have repented of their sins, they have invited Jesus to be Lord and Savior over their lives, and they are now born not just of the physical, right, of the human, but they are now born of God. We have new life in Jesus Christ. And God's salvation is expansive and it is holistic. We see it in the Bible that it's not just spiritual, but it's physical as well. Salvation brings people who are on the margins back into community. It delivers from social ills as well as spiritual ones. It is deliverance from danger or suffering because God is always at work in us and through us. Its outcome may not always be the relief that we want, but it always leads to victory, restoration, justice, and life. In the Old Testament, we see God save the people of Israel from slavery and military conquest. In the New Testament, we see Jesus save people from illness, demon possession, imprisonment, and even death. God is the ultimate savior, and he saves completely. So salvation is both spiritual and physical, but we are focusing on the spiritual today. So why do we need salvation? Why do we need salvation? Look at verses 16 and 17. They say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We needed saving because without salvation, we would perish. We would perish because of sin. God saved us from the consequence of sin, which is death. And yes, death is a physical reality that all of us will face, but this is not the death we are talking about. The death we're talking about is spiritual death. It's spiritual death while you may be physically alive because you are separated from God and from your creator. You live out of your sin and you begin to feel frustrated, empty, unworthy, and afraid. And then there's the eternal death, eternal separation from God after your physical life has ended. So you both live this life and eternity separated from God. But when God saves you from death, through salvation, you experience in this life a loving relationship with him. And it doesn't mean that it's always like flowers and roses, but it does mean that it is always full of purpose and full of hope. And after this physical life is over, you spend eternity with him in heaven. That's the salvation God offers. God wants to save you from the consequences of sin, and that sin is, and the consequences of sin, which is death. And sadly, sin is universal. We are born in sin, and we cannot escape it. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, we see this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, meaning Adam, 
and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. The consequence of Adam's sin is that all of us would be subject to sin. Sin sin lives all around us. Just last week, we memorialized 9-11. And it was sin that caused terrorists to fly planes into the Twin Towers. It's sin that causes war, death, destruction, cheating, lying, stealing, corruption, injustice. Scroll through your news feed and you can see how much sin abounds in this world. But it's not just this global sin, right? Sin impacts us as individuals. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that is because of Adam. We began life as sinners by nature. That very first sin of Adam caused a chain of events that he could not have anticipated. The lie you told is the result of your sin nature. The jealousy you harbor in your heart, your greed, your callousness, your hard-heartedness, your rebellion, your selfishness, your promiscuity, your pride, all of it. All of it is a result of your sin nature that lives inside of you. Even your precious little baby. We just saw one up on stage. She is adorable. She, amen, Pastor Doug. But how many of you had to teach your child to share because they discovered the word mine? Or how many of you parents were Horrified when your cute little toddler yelled out no to you. Or better yet, when you told them, don't touch that. And what did they do? They looked you right in the face and touched it anyway. There's sin nature in your beautiful, adorable little child. We are born in sin because of Adam. None of us can escape it and none of us can save ourselves from it. This is the reality we cannot escape, and it is the message that the church must be clear about. Sin is real. And too often we've minimized sin and its consequences because we want to make Christianity palatable to the world. Or maybe you grew up in a, in a church that was all about fire and brimstone, and so you, we swing the pendulum in the other direction, and all we talk about is God's love. But we got to talk about sin. To not do so is dangerous and dare I say spiritual negligence. We are letting people die because we're afraid to be clear about sin. But the gospel makes no sense unless we understand the importance and the gravity of sin. The wages of sin is death and everyone needs to know they are a sinner. But calling someone a sinner and knowing you were a sinner does not mean that you are irredeemable. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's only once you understand that you are a sinner that you understand how much you need God. And that is when you can give your life to God. You can repent and live a life of purpose that is pleasing to God. As you know, Metro has a a very active prison ministry. And I'm so proud of our pen pals and those who have gone to visit in the past. And we're going to be gearing up for Angel Tree in the next couple of months for Christmas. But one of the things that I have observed in my visits to the prison and in the letters between our brothers at East Jersey is that they are so keenly aware of their sinfulness. 
Now, they're obviously in prison for something. East Jersey State Prison is a maximum security prison. They've committed some heinous crimes. But they're aware of their sinfulness because the whole world has told them about their wrongdoing. But the men there have come to understand, the men that we engage with, have come to understand that their sinful nature, um, because of their crimes, are not just the end of the story. There's still some other things there too that is not exhibited in robbery or in murder, but it's also when you fail to help a brother out, or when they fail to operate in faith, or when they lie or let their pride or their anger get the best of them. Those are the sins that we as the world consider lesser because there's no criminal sentence behind it, even though God makes no such distinction. These men know that they are sinners. And the tragedy is that while many of them understand their sinfulness, so many others do not. Because the person that I'm more concerned about as a minister and as a Christian is not necessarily the criminal, because they know that. I'm more concerned about the good person. You know good people. You might be one of them. This is the person who has no awareness of their sinfulness. This person strives, whether knowingly or unknowingly, for salvation on their own. They seek their own goodness and they follow their own moral compass. Their spirituality is vague or it's non-existent. They do everything they can on their own apart from God. And they think that their goodness that their volunteering or their good acts makes them less of a sinner than the criminal, but that's not true. One sin, one time makes you a sinner. And that one sin you committed is you acting out of your sinful nature. No one is without sin. In fact, the Bible says that if we claim that we are without sin, we are a liar and there is no truth in us. And striving for goodness apart from God makes you a sinner. The first commandment in the, is to not put anything above God. No gods before God. Putting anything above, beside, or instead of God makes you a sinner. And sin, no matter what form it takes, results in death and separation from a holy God. This was the, prob the problem with Nicodemus and the Pharisees. For all that Nicodemus was, he was a Pharisee, which means he was a religious elite. He was a man of power and privilege and influence. Even Nicodemus needed a savior. His legalism wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough to get him into heaven. It wasn't good enough to cover his sins or put him in right relationship with God. Even Nicodemus needed to be born again. Even he needed salvation. Even so-called good people need a savior too. And our intellectual accomplishments, our status, our privilege, our power, our money, not even our good works will get us into heaven without Jesus. You remember Paul in the Bible? A zealot and he was running really fast and really hard in the wrong direction until he met Jesus Christ. There is nothing we can do in our own accomplishments or in our own goodness or even of our own merit that can take away our sinful nature. If we could, none of us would be sinners. There is nothing that we can do that can bring us into right relationship with God. This is why we need salvation. This is why we need a savior. 
But here's the thing, even though Adam's sin brought death into the world, Jesus' righteousness brought life. And that is awesome news. Jesus is the only one who could save us. Because we're sinners, we could not save ourselves. Our sin disqualifies us from saving ourselves. But Jesus, who's both fully human and fully God, could. He lived perfectly and without sin. He lived as a man and understood the challenges of humanity, yet he was God. And he had the power to overcome sin for himself and for us. Jesus makes it clear that he is the only way to salvation. There is no other option. And I know sometimes we, we cringe when we hear that, that there's no other options. We like options. But Jesus gives us a gift. He says, I'm making it really clear for you. Choose me. Look at verses 14 and 15. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. Jesus is referencing what took place in the wilderness after God delivered the people of Israel out of slavery. If you go into Numbers chapter 21, you see this story. And in this story, we see the people of Israel complaining about the conditions in the wilderness as if slavery were better. They speak against God and against Moses. And as a consequence, God sends these deadly snakes among them. And once someone was bitten, they would die. And so the people are looking around and they see this happening and they realize what's going on. And so they repent. They say, Moses, we're sorry, pray for us. And so God says, craft a snake of bronze and put it on a pole. And anyone who's bitten by a snake just has to look up to that pole and they will be saved. The bronze snake Moses held up is a symbol of the grace of God. It was a symbol of life to the dying. By looking at the symbol, the people who were dying would be saved. Jesus says by comparison, by looking to me, those of us who are dying, we will be saved too. We need salvation because we are sinners and without salvation, we would perish. So how do we receive this salvation? How do we receive this great gift God has given us called salvation? First, we receive salvation by believing in Jesus. We receive salvation by believing in Jesus. God gave us salvation out of his deep and abiding love for us. The process of salvation began in heaven when God looked down at humanity and it led him to send his only son, Jesus Christ, in the world to save the world. We receive salvation when we believe who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Verses 14 through 16 again, just as Moses was lifted up, by the, lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The key word in these verses is believe. Jesus not only uses the story of Moses to demonstrate sin, but to foreshadow his death on the cross. Jesus would be crucified. He would be lifted high and he would be hung on a cross for the sins of humanity. 
And although he lived a perfect and sinless life, he died in our place. When Christ died on the cross, he took all of our sins with him, putting them to death. This is what we call imputation. God imputed our sins onto Christ and imputed Christ's righteousness onto us. And when Christ rose from the dead after three days, he raised us up with him with new life. We are new creations, no longer dying under the weight of our sins. We are raised up to new life in Christ. And in dying and in raising from the dead, Jesus proved that he was almighty and all powerful and he was Lord of all. And that is the gospel, that is good news. God has given us an incredible gift in salvation in Jesus Christ. And he simply asks us to believe it. He asks us to believe in his son. And there is an urgency to this that we tend to forget. God initiates all this. He is the principal actor in salvation and God gives us free will and choice. Look at verse 18. It warns us, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. A person is condemned if that person does not believe in Jesus. This is a reality that cannot be avoided. Now I know it's uncomfortable to talk about condemnation and to talk about hell, but if we don't talk about it, we allow people to stay in their condemnation. The rejection of God and his love brings judgment and condemnation, and not just in the future, but right now. For the, for the person who doesn't believe in God, condemnation is something, it's a reality for them right now as well as in the future. The unbeliever will remain condemned unless they give their faith, they believe in Jesus Christ. But God loves us so much that he doesn't want any of us to be condemned. He sent his son specifically so that we would not be condemned. It says so right here, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He asked that we believe, that we believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Salvation is offered by God, but it is received by us in faith. God initiates salvation for us and we must accept it. And I know it's hard to believe sometimes. This is why the songwriter calls it amazing grace, because it's hard for us to imagine a love that is so sacrificial. It is hard for us to fathom a gift that is so extravagant and all that the giver asks is that we receive it by faith. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around someone who would die for us. We live in New Jersey. It's hard to get someone to smile at us. And Jesus died for us. And by the way, he, smiled, he died for the person who won't smile for us either. Right? That's how much God loves us. And here's the thing about faith. Faith always seeks understanding, but it does not depend on certainty. It's actually not faith at all if there is certainty. So if you don't understand everything, that's okay. Ask God to help you believe. Ask him to give you faith. 
There was a father who approached Jesus about saving his son and he's about healing his son. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That might have to be your prayer. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Ask God to help your unbelief. We don't have to understand it all. Simply believe and watch God do the rest. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You receive salvation by believing in Jesus Christ. And finally, you receive salvation by repenting of your sins. You receive salvation by turning away from your sins. Repentance means simply to turn away from sin. It seeks forgiveness from God because of one's sins. If we do not repent of our sins, we will perish. The Bible reminds us in Acts chapter three, verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What a blessing. Repentance means to change one's mind and, to ch and that change of mind results in change of action. It means to change your mind from thinking that you're good all by yourself and there you are without sin into understanding that you need a savior. It means to change your mind from believing that you are without sin and actually to turn and seek forgiveness from God. It admits that it's wrong, but it wants to do better. It wants to follow God and to live like Christ. Repentance means changing your mind from thinking that there is no hope for you because of your past to believing that you can follow a God who offers hope and a future for you. But repentance isn't just about changing your mind. It must come with some action, some change of behavior. The Bible tells us to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, meaning there should be some example. There should be some, some demonstration of your repentance. A few weeks ago, Pastor Peter um, told the story of Zacchaeus in the Bible. That is the story where this uh, tax collector, he was a tax collector at the time, and he used to extort money from people. And Jesus invites himself to his house. And, and when he does this, Zacchaeus says, Lord, if I've done anything, if I have, I will give up my possessions, half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone, I will pay them back four times the amount. And when Jesus hears this, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus changed his ways immediately. He went from being greedy and being a cheat to becoming generous and seeking reparations with other people. This is repentance, not just that you think about forgiveness, but that you do something to change your behavior. And for those of us who are already Christian, salvation might be a one-time event, but we're always working out our sanctification. It means we're always working on becoming more like Christ. You were saved at some point in the past. You're presently saved, and you are still working on your salvation. You're still working on sanctification, which will be finally realized in heaven. Are you living a life that reflects 
that you are saved? Do you live a life that demonstrates to the world that you are a believer in Jesus Christ and that the gospel has changed your heart and transformed you? There should be a difference about us who call ourselves Christian. True repentance in living out one's salvation submits to Jesus as Lord over your life. When we repent of our sins and seek forgiveness from God and live a life that honors God, we demonstrate that we have made Jesus Lord over our lives. We are no longer in control and we won't let sin control us either. Rather, we follow the example of Jesus Christ. We yield to his will for our lives. We leave our sinful past behind to follow Jesus. And we do so out of obedience and out of love and out of gratitude. Jesus sacrificed himself on, on my behalf and on your behalf so that we could be free from sin. Jesus is our savior. He is the means of our salvation. He wants us to put our faith and trust in him and to repent of our sins to fully receive this incredible gift of God called salvation. There are no other qualifications. God has already done the work. We receive the gift by faith and with a repentant heart. So I am one of those people who grew up in church. I, I, could, I could see the church from my house, okay? And both sides of my family are Christian and my parents believed in raising me and my brother in church. I was in Sunday school at three years old and I went to church every Sunday. And one day in Sunday school, my teacher, Mrs. Dolores Casey, and by the way, shout out to all of those who serve in student ministries, whether you're here or there, you guys make a difference. I am a, I am a witness to that. My Sunday school teacher told me that if I didn't believe in God, I would live apart from God from, for eternity. I would live apart from God in eternity. She said that if I believed in God and loved God, I needed to let him know. And you would think that that would scare a little kid, but that didn't scare me at all. It just put some urgency inside of me. Well, that Sunday happened to be Youth Sunday, and at my church, the youth choir would sing on Youth Sunday. And the church girl that I was, I was in the youth choir. And at the end of every sermon, our pastor would do something called an invitation to discipleship, an altar call. And he would say, if anyone wants to give their lives to Jesus Christ, you come down the aisle, right? And I'm sitting up in the choir loft and I hadn't had a chance to say anything to my mom, but there is something stirring on the inside of me. They're like butterflies in my stomach and I start crying and I don't know what to do, but I hear something tell me to get up and walk down the aisle. And that's what I do. I get up and I walk over all of my friends and I make it down the aisle. And my pastor looks at me and he's like, do you know what you're doing? And I said, yes. I said, I love Jesus and I want him to know. I want him to know that I love him and I believe in him. I can still feel it now. That was the day I was saved. But I've been working out my salvation ever since. You guys know me, I have the degrees, I have the academic degrees. And I'm generally what people would call a good person, right? I'm, I'm kind of mild-mannered, I'm kind of calm, even as a kid, but I'm still a sinner. I can be envious, 
I can have a nasty attitude at times. I can be selfish. I can lie. I can hurt someone who's tried to hurt me. I can cut people off with my words or my actions. All of that is inside of me and so much more. But I choose to live differently because if Jesus loved me enough to die for me, the least I could do is to live my life for him. I choose to live differently because I know that I can't make it on my own. When I fall, and I do fall, my goal is to fall forward into the arms of Jesus Christ. I need God. I need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me to direct me. I need the reminder of Jesus' suffering for me. I need a savior who loves me in spite of me. My family just laid my aunt to rest. And in her final days, I had a conversation. Well, it wasn't really a conversation. The most coherent thing she said to me in her final days was, he, meaning God, looked beyond my faults and saw my need. That was her testimony. And that's my testimony. That's all of our testimony, that God looked beyond our faults. He looked beyond our sinfulness, our pride, our jealousy, our greed, our rebellion, our turning away from him. God looked beyond all of our faults and he saw that we needed a savior. And he said, no one was better qualified to save my children than my only son. That is salvation. That is why the gospel message never gets old. Because as long as I live, I live for a Jesus who loved me enough to die for me. That's why when I read in the Bible that the wages of sin is death, but there is a gift of God that gives us eternal life. That's why when I hear John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, that is good news. I can hear that message over and over and over again because it's just that good. My brothers and my sisters, if you are a Christian, don't take your salvation for granted. It is good news every single day. And if you're not a Christian, I invite you to meet a savior who gave his life for you, who loves you so much that he died for you and he asked you to live for him. So Metro, we're gonna do something different today. Our prayer today is an altar call. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. I'm gonna ask you to turn off the lights. And I want you to examine your heart. In a moment, I'm gonna ask two questions. The first question is, do I believe in Jesus Christ? And if this is your first time saying yes to that, I'm gonna invite you to come to the altar 
for prayer. The second question is, have I been living my life out of my salvation? Do I need to recommit my life to Jesus Christ? So just examine your heart for a second. And I'm gonna ask those questions again. And if that's you, I'm gonna invite you to the altar. Those of you serving on the prayer team, I'm gonna invite you to come and just stand up here with me, please. If you're a pastor and you're able to, just come and stand up at the front with me, if you will. First question. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? If you've never said yes before and you want to say yes today, I invite you to come. Come to the front. It's nothing scary. We're right here with you. Number two, I need to recommit my life to Jesus Christ. Do you need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ? If that's you, I'm going to invite you to come forward too. So we'll pray together. Eyes can remain closed. Nobody's looking at you but us, but the pastors. If you're at home, I'm gonna invite you to look at what's called the communication card. On the communication card, it is, um, there's a, the first step in there is I'm giving my life to Jesus for the first time. If that's you, you can check that box in the communication card, card or you can send an email to us at emetro, excuse me, at info at emetro.org and just say, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. We'll get back to you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of salvation. I thank you for my brothers and my sisters here, those who are watching online. God, I thank you for the work that you are doing in their lives. I pray for my brother or sister who maybe is still wrestling with believing in you. God, I pray that they would pray the prayer that that father said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, give them enough faith to say yes to you. God, I pray for my brother or sister who is struggling to live out their salvation. They know they need to recommit their lives to God. And so, Lord God, I pray that this would be the day that would shift their lives, that they would fully commit themselves to living with you. And God, I pray for all of us, Lord God, that as we continue to hear the gospel message, that it will not grow old to us, God, but instead that it would excite us about your goodness and your grace, so much so that we would be grateful and that we would share that good news with someone else. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for salvation. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.